and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, this is a good one, everyone. My buddy from the band Alexis on Fire, Chris Steele, is on the show today. And as I said, this is this is a this is a really worthwhile one checking out. More on that in one second, but first. If you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That and an Instagram page and a Facebook page for this podcast, both are Turned Out of Punk on those platforms, are run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Tristan, thank you for everything you do for this show. And he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at left for damien If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it. Let them all know that you listen to this podcast and that you enjoy it. And uh, that, or you could also head over and buy a t-shirt, too, at turnitapunk.com. And thank you to everyone who has done that. Very much appreciated. Or you can uh, subscribe to it and rate it as well. You know, or just listen. That's also how you can support it. I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. We've got a bunch of new records coming out real soon, as always. Um, you can find out more information about all that at fuckedup.cc, including upcoming tours right now. As I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you from a hotel room in Germany. So if you're in Europe and you want to see what we're up to, we got we got dates posted over there. And you can find that all out. We're also doing a Southwest tour coming up. Anyway, find that all over at fuckedup.cc. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, Chris Steele is one of uh, one of the people that I, I really inspires me. He's someone that I've known for a very long time, and uh, we've hung out and never really had a chance to sit down and, and talk like this. And so to get the opportunity to talk to him and kind of express to him how inspiring I find his journey, you know, it's, it's, it's why I kind of do this podcast. Cause it's really weird to say that to a friend out of nowhere. Trust me, I've tried to do it. And it's, it's much easier on the platform of a podcast to have these sorts of conversations. But Chris is someone who has battled and still battles uh, dealing with uh, addiction. And he is very open and honest about, these battles on this podcast and to watch him go through these struggles and to continue to go through these struggles and to find a new place and to find a, a way to survive and thrive is, is very inspiring to me. And I think to anyone that hears him tell these stories and talk about this sort of stuff. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Alexis on fire, Chris's band steals band. I call him steel. He's weird to call him Chris has put out an unbelievable record this year called The Otherness. You can find that at stores everywhere right now. You can also find Alexa on Fire on tour this fall. You can find out dates on, well, the internet. Um, I think the only band that matters is still the website, too. Google it. Google it. Don't take my word for it. Uh, they will uh, have dates posted. They're going to Europe, going to America, all sorts of places. And if you have never seen Alexa on Fire live, my God. And if you've never seen Steel play bass live, he is one of the best performers with any instrument. He's better than most front people that don't have an instrument to attach them, the stuff he does on stage. So strongly recommend checking them out. Anyway, I can hear uh, the, the noises getting louder in the hall. So I will uh, shut up now and let you sit back, relax, and enjoy Chris Steele on Turn Out a Punk. <laughs> Steele, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Damien. 
Well, this has taken far too long. And for that, I must apologize to happen because I've wanted to talk to you like this for for a very long time. You know, we've had we've had a few different hangouts over the years, a magical night with some ferrets. Uh, yes. uh comes to mind especially but uh but we've never had a chance to like really you know i've never had a chance to punish you is basically what i'm trying to get at right i mean when i heard that there was an opportunity for us to kind of uh you know shoot the breeze uh a few weeks ago i was like certainly like very very excited and then uh we got busy and we were over in the uk and i remember being at like either a marks and spencer or a greg's getting some sort of like weird crisp and i was like this is cool but wish i was talking to damien right oh, now. oh well you know what we can have our crisps and eat them too and podcast too because yeah. we got to do both buddy it's taken a long time but now we're gonna do it and i gotta start it off the way they all start off which is steel how'd you get into punk from the first time you ever came across it first time i came across it uh i believe i would have been in a uh record shop in st Catharines. And uh, I was introduced to uh, the Stooges at that point. Um, and I, you know, with, even at that point for me, and I would say 1997 in St. Catharines, um, you know, kind of on the brink of high school, skateboarding around with my, uh, with my buddies who were all into hip hop at that time. And, uh, I just got chatting with some of the record store owners. And uh, at that point, I had already been playing guitar a little bit. And I'd been jamming with uh, a guy in like grade school who played drums. And uh, it was sort of influenced from like a record store, uh, you know, shopkeeps that were kind of guiding me in a certain direction. And I remember early on, um, you know, that avenue towards, I, I, guess, I guess the beginning of it would have been the, the Stooges. And there was something that just like kind of attracted me to the simplicity of those melodies and especially like Iggy Pop's uh, lyrics. You know, I love the fact that I don't think he writes over 20 words a song. And, uh, you know, so that kind of got it going. And then I remember, um, I guess it was 98 and uh, the Misfits were playing in St. Catharines in the mind bomb parking lot. And uh, I kind of knew Wade from a distance. I, I probably would have just like judged him with my shifty eyes, you know, like he would have been wearing like baggy fresh jive short jeans. And uh, so I'd always look at him weird and we played on the same baseball team and we didn't really talk. And then uh, I saw him on the city bus. We both had tickets for that uh, misfit show. And then it was on like that was my first like experience of uh, seeing a uh, seeing a show. Um, and uh, that certainly transposed me into like uh, the, the feeling of like uh, just like how loud, sweaty, energetic. It had such an effect on me that within the next 48 hours, uh, Wade and I started a band um, in grade nine. Um, I would say that that was sort of the, you know, the beginning of me uh, getting into punk. It's funny you mentioned Iggy Pop being such an early influence because, you know, you're, you're an incredible stage animal, like when you're up there doing stuff on stage, but like you do kind of do that Iggy Pop thousand yard stare into the crowd. Like you do have a couple of like Iggy Popisms to, to what you're doing up there. Uh, well, I appreciate that. And then that's, uh, you know, 
I, I there's certainly, and I think uh, a lot of us that like tour and are um, really lost, I guess, in the moment, it is sort of that um, magical experience that um, it does transpose me at least uh, for that hour plus or whatever it is that, um, you know, at the core, I am still myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like it is a bit of a light switch. Um, you know, I'm a pretty, you know, casual, reserved, calm-ish kind of guy with a scattered brain. But uh, when I get that moment to kind of connect with the audience, that, you know, that symbiotic energy where it's just like uh, the rat's out of the cage and uh, it's time to go. It's, uh, it just puts me in a certain way that uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Mm-hmm. But um Oh man, I isn't it so cool to see that like Iggy Pop is like currently like in this moment doing it. Right yeah, he's now? he's unbelievable. He's like on another like another planet. Like we played with the Stooges years ago, and I just remember just like thinking like we were gonna go out there and somehow have more energy or just you know be more on than they were on some sort of like weird twisted ego trip and they just like blew us off the stage with energy like it was he was unbelievable like a monster up there and like yeah i mean that is the highest compliment like he is to be in that zone that iggy's in in like you know that footage from i think it's the cincinnati rock festival thing where he's in the crowd with the peanut butter or or the other footage where he's doing the passenger and just see how locked in he is with that crowd and just seeing how everyone in the crowds there like that's i think what we're all chasing as musicians oh absolutely i feel like uh i feel like i channel especially recently uh iggy pops uh i don't know disposition his energy with a uh, i got a custom strap made oh uh, from a local company here in uh, toronto and on the back in turquoise on brown it says a uh, real cool time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the band you form with Wade, uh, and actually before, like you mentioned Iggy pop lack of lyrics, I got a Iggy pop lyric book as a birthday gift. And there are not a lot of words per page. <laughs> oh, that's, it's so unbelievable. and so impactful. Less is more. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like he can, he, they were the proof of, of, you know, at a time when everyone's getting bigger, they were like, no, 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 smaller. And that's really, I think, what we all carry with us. True. Absolutely. Yeah. Was Plan 9 that band that you formed that's with Wade? Yeah, that yeah. That's uh yeah, started off as a as a three-piece. Uh Wade and I are the same age, and this was uh, you know, the first few months of uh of high school, really. Uh we didn't go to the same high school, we lived in the same neighborhood. And, um, you know, it was a bit more of a, you know, we would, we would cover like, uh, choking victim covers and a few, <laughs> and a few misfit tunes and, uh, maybe some Pennywise and, uh, I don't know what else. And then, uh, you know, we had a handful of originals and we would play, uh, the same, you know, Chinese buffet Saturday night downtown and have Wade's dad pick us up when we were, uh, you know probably vomiting on the sidewalk at that point but um yeah that was plan nine and then um a few years later um the arrangement more or less stayed the same and uh but our sound changed and then we changed into a an, into a band called after the hallowed moment 
Love which, was very, which was very 2000. <laughs> Are you Mr. Furnace in Plan 9, or is that later? <laughs> wow. Some excellent deep dive and research here. Holy shit. <laughs> well, Wade has been on the show before, so I, I, I got to pretend. I can't yeah. pretend like I found that anywhere, but uh, Wade's knowledge. Yeah, it's... Uh... So, yeah, we're all like our, our drummer, uh, Drew Arnold, uh, lived one street over from me. Wade lived a street in the other direction. And um, I remember coming home from high school, walking to my where I lived with my parents. And uh, two doors down, there was like a, a, a furnace maintenance utility van called Mr. Furnace. Yeah. And I mean, everyone else had band names at that point. And uh you know, I think it was a, a day before our drummer uh, latched on to the name Helmut P. Paradise. Uh, our uh, our chemistry teacher, uh, Governor Simcoe in uh, North End St. Catharines, name was Helmut Friesen. So he got helmet from that. And then P stood for Paul, just because. And then, and then Paradise. It's a very good punk name, Helmut P. Paradise. He had the best one. I think Mr. Furnace is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, it sounds pretty hard. You know, human yeah. furnace from ringworm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, were you a Sick Boys fan at all? Because I guess they would have been the big band locally, right? Oh, absolutely. Like that was um, soon thereafter, you know, um, after that Misfit show, I guess September 98. Um, and as we started playing as Plan 9, every weekend, whether we were playing or not, the like St. Catherine's like music scene, uh, it was, it was bubbling and uh, sick boys at that time. Yeah. We were able to see them. Um, I would say at least once a month kind of deal and got to know, uh, got to know those guys. And it was just cool. I mean, we were young and they were uh, a decade or more older and it felt pretty cool to be out in the scene uh, and uh, you know, revenge of the egg people. And uh you know, like, uh, I remember a few of those shows, Sick Boys in particular, it could have been at the frat house for like scene, maybe like the second or third scene that happened in St. Catharines in 99. And, uh, you know, first experience like crowd surfing and just being in that havoc. It's just like, yeah, it definitely changed me. Like the music scene in St. Catharines in the, for me in the late 90s um, was very um, inspiring. And uh it's kind of all I wanted to do. Yeah, looking back on it now, they're they're still unbelievable. Like they are really one of the best bands from this region at that time. Oh, unbelievable for what yeah. they were doing at that time. Yeah, great musicians, great show, uh, great guys, and uh, they definitely had um, there. There was a bubble happening in the late '90s with with specifically them, and uh, they felt like these kind of like. Unreachable at the at the time, you know, um, you know, gods, and uh, you know, since then, subsequently, it's uh, it's been cool to keep in touch with a few of those guys. I feel like uh, Paul Drink it all cuts Wade's hair every time we we go on tour. <laughs> it's awesome that it, yeah, there is that kind of lineage that's carried over, and like that's the cool thing is like watching you know what happens a few years later with when everything starts blowing up. Like all of you guys had been playing shows together or as friends in other bands prior to right like including like attack in black and 
Cancer Bats and Vincent Black Shadow and all that kind of stuff, right? Like everyone had been in other bands. Like it was like kind of like a scene that grew up together a little bit. Oh, for sure. And it's, uh, it was definitely all inclusive as well. And, uh, you know, a band like us at the time, Plan 9, the kind of uh, skate punky, uh, could uh, be on the bill with, you know, Jude the Obscure and like uh, condem- Condemning Salem with mm-hmm. uh, George Pettit on bass with a clear strap. <laughs> <laughs> clear strap? Oh, yeah. Damn, I don't know if you needed the custom strap. You should have just borrowed George's clear one. <laughs> Well, George loses a lot of things all the time. I have like three of his shirts right now. <laughs> well, I don't know if he's losing them then or if someone's just finding them. Yeah, that's yeah, true. true. <laughs> what about uh, Dallas's first band? Were you a fan of them? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was... Uh, Helicon Blue, Helicon right? Blue. Yeah. yeah, Helicon Blue was, uh, again, very uh, influential into... Uh, uh, you know, being, uh, I guess, wow, fuck, man, F- 15 and being, like, introduced to, like, a melange of different sounds um, where everything did kind of was cohesive and work together for me and within the scene in St. Catharines. And, um, yeah, hearing Helicon Blue and kind of, like, the mood that they could create in a in an intimate setting was... Uh, it, it felt uh, it felt very large. It felt very impactful, powerful. I mean, uh, you know, back then uh, hearing Dallas sing for the first time and um, sort of like capturing, I guess, the less is more as well. Um, a, a lot of space that's created for uh, a more impactful, uh, you know, to have like, uh, you know, Nick sitting back on the drums and uh, just kind of being in the pocket with Marcel uh, on bass and just kind of holding it down. Now, back then, (laughs) I keep on talking about this less is more kind of situation and like, sure, being like inspired by Marcel, bass player of Helicon Blue, you know, the Stooges in general. But um, I don't know, being a guitar player first and um, but always playing bass in bands and teaching myself from what I knew from guitar. At an early stage, I guess I thought I was still kind of a guitar player on bass. So unnecessarily like playing way up high on the 12th fret and like some noodling around on the G string and shit like that. And, uh, you know, we've been currently listening to our, uh, our self-titled record as of late. And, um, you got to play the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to be doing that in a few weeks and it's been cool. We've been doing it and learning it and sound check, you know, and obviously a uh, uh, rap beard hasn't played uh, 80% of it ever. Yeah. And uh, it, it's great though. Cause it, it's uh, it, it kind of, uh, I don't know, time, the concept of time is a weird thing. You know, 20 years ago, that's what we were doing. That's where we were. It served uh, a purpose for us and and certainly fans that uh, followed us. Um, so yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not embarrassed or or, or ashamed of, of what it is. It's just like interesting to see like the growth and influences along the way that shaped us as to where we are now. Um, and then there was a, a moment where I was like, you know. I am now of the less is more sort of mentality. So like I was thinking of kind of playing it a little differently, the first record, 
but I was like, fuck it, you know, give the people what they want, play it as it is. It's, yeah. It is that way for, for a reason. And uh, so it's been fun actually to like revisit some of those tracks from 20 years ago and uh, get all lead bass on it again. <laughs> well, it's funny how, you know, most bands, you know, form later, like you guys were so young and wind up doing this band that, you know, not only becomes your career, but ends up changing Canadian music and becoming this sort of like legendary band. But like, you know, my band, obviously not doing what you did, <laughs> but at the same time, like I didn't achieve that till I was in my thirties, you know, so to be going through that at 17 or 16 or 18, even like that's a mind fuck. Like that's, that's, that's crazy to be experiencing that stuff so young. It, it is, uh, you know, it is growing up quick, you know, that lifestyle of uh, trudging, uh, which is like, I looked at that time fondly as well, um, being like in my late teens or signing our first record contract, and which I can't even legally do because I'm 17. So I've got my parents co-signing and then I'm at a rooftop party at EMI Publishing and someone from Bare Naked Ladies is there and then uh, Snow is like there. And uh, then there's like, you know, at that time, early 2000s, with like much music being a monster and being part of uh, what that entails, you know, for a band with our sound and being part of those award shows and having videos and still being in high school, it was certainly a trip. And uh, then being able to, um, yeah i guess not really have time to digest what was ha happening it, it was just it was happening the tornado's kind of in full circulation i'm 19 and uh you know and then you're months and months and months and you're in a van before smartphones and you've got like an atlas and a co-pilot and uh you're you're playing uh hall shows for 45 people and then you're driving 600 miles to Boulder, Colorado to do it again and sleep on the promoter's floor and eat some chips and keep on going. But it was like that sense of adventure and, and brotherhood and, you know, like, and enough was happening to, to all kind of convince ourselves that like something is happening and like this, this is worth it. You know, I, I take this over, um, you know, stocking shelves at Blockbuster. Don't get me wrong. 10 free rentals a week at Blockbuster, sick gig. But uh you got fired you know, from that though, right? I got uh, I got I had two options, yeah. which was uh work your inventory midnight shifts and stay employed at Blockbuster or go shoot your first music video, pulmonary archery. And uh away I went, obviously. And we are uh we just got back from uh England playing slam dunk and uh blockbuster is long gone so long gone there's one <laughs> one left right and it's more of a museum at this point i guess so yeah even if you get made manager even if you made regional manager like where you know where like unless you pivoted to netflix anyway that's a whole other discussion at that point but at that, at, at that moment you, you 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 don't know it's not a gold certified uh situation that this is the thing that's going to work i mean like we put everything i do believe earnestly into what we did and like as uh, you can relate and like a lot of people that we know it's not an easy lifestyle and uh it's not for everyone um and at those early stages yeah the concept of even being able to shoot a music video and sort of much music seemed to be at one of its heights was like uh such a mind bend 
So that was uh, had to do it. But still, there was no gold stamp to say that this is the direction that uh, is going to carry you for a little while. You know, so it's um, I feel very fortunate and, and grateful. I don't under play that uh, we didn't put so much, you know, of everything that we are into it. But as it goes, um, there is some luck and there's some timing and it's all a weird puzzle piece um, at the end of the day. Like so many amazing bands that we both know that uh, should be able to, uh, you know, be in a position um, a, a little bit more uh, favorable than they are. And um and for whatever weird reasons, uh, they aren't. And uh, so I don't take it for granted. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird trip. It's a weird puzzle piece. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just so grateful that after all this time, we have found our way back to it, you know, pretty much like the original core. And um, it feels better than ever. Yeah, it's almost like you guys had to take that break. You know, because it was like you were doing it so intensely from such a young age that like, I imagine it just, it just has to burn itself out at a certain point, you know, and you have to walk away. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, for for a wide array of reasoning that uh, that it was evident that we needed to stop at the time. Um but I can only talk from personal experience. And, you know, I talk about the, uh, the tornado spinning fast and uh, starting this whole deal at a young age. And I won't use being in a touring band as a crutch or an excuse, but, you know, I definitely lost myself during the journey. And, uh, and it hurt, you know, because I'm, uh, I definitely strive to be a team player. Uh, you know, I want to suit up and show up and do the best I can. And uh, it was difficult when I was uh, when I didn't know what I didn't know. And I was being um, I was sort of suffocated um, by my own illness, you know, and I don't mind like sharing with just like addiction and alcoholism. And um, towards like the latter number of years before we originally stopped, uh, you know, it had its grips on me and, um, you know, I just could not stop. and. Uh, man, you talk about that brotherhood and that like connection, human connection and support and um, without judgment, you know, those guys and outside of the band, our family all involved with music and other touring bands and everyone that we surround ourselves with. Um, I just felt the love and support, but I needed that nudge to sort of wake up and uh, find a different way. Um, but it was a battle, you know, it was up and down and up and down until like, you know, I guess your uh, one's bottom can always have more trap doors. But uh, I felt like I was I couldn't go any further. So, you know, those those guys, man, uh, they're everything to me. They, they helped me out of the uh, out of the darkness and uh, at least uh, directed me into you know, an opportunity to like perhaps have a change. So without getting too deep with it, you know, like for me stopping at that time, like was a lifesaver. I, I don't like, it's a very gray area, a very, um, 
desperate and um, suffering kind of time for me the last couple of years of touring, especially our last tour. And so to stop and then like take some time and uh, in a healthy, selfish way, focus everything on myself, um, you know, started the journey of, of a better way. And then with that, man, when we were able to do that one month and the quote unquote farewell 2012, that was the first time ever since playing live music, I was able to step on stage, be on a, a tour and be substance free and, and be sober. And that's uh, that's a gift that that gave me closure in, in the moment. And that uh, uh, I thought it wasn't possible before, but uh, to be. I want to be transparent as most as I best I can, you know, and I, I want to be kind of see through and I want to be honest. I don't want to be lurking in the shadows and to be able to stand on stage and feel like very part of the situation and very connected with the band and people at the show. Um, that is, that is such a high. That's such, that's, that's a, that's a bigger high than any of the, uh, shit that was going on in the past man so it, it's an ongoing day by day thing with me but to be able to still have this in my life and um be able to uh enjoy it and for me in the purest form um man it's a special thing I, again I, I i try to put in a, as much work as i can but uh i am one of the lucky ones because we both know many people that get lost in it and uh, don't find their way back. So, yeah, you know, well, like uh, the singer from planes mistaken for stars just passed away, you know, recently, right. right. Like there's just so many people in music have passed away, you know, like just from addictions. And I think with alcohol, especially like people in this industry are falling over to put a drink in your hand and to be doing this from that young of an age. It's like, you know, not to blame it, like you said, on being in a touring band, but there are a few places less conducive to dealing with having to deal with alcoholism like music is. Like it's, I remember going to, a, there was a clothing store on Queen Street that had a bar set up for you at one point. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was. I had my own like secret liquor cabinet. Uh, there was, and it wasn't a joke anymore. Like at, at the time, sure, it's uh, this identity of like, I'm this, always drinking guy and like isn't it cool that i have my own whatever and um but the joke's long over when i'm like you know without memory and uh falling down the stairs and uh you know and then just repeating that kind of like way of life for for it is what it is but um it's uh yeah, it doesn't help, you know, like to be in this industry, like there's a lot of hurry up and wait. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, dead time backstage and that to kill boredom for me an alcoholic, not knowing it at the time, like, uh, what is it? 2004 and I'm drinking Jaeger straight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, well, and this industry is underwritten by alcohol at a certain level like once you know like the the reality is like most bars that you're playing at like they're trying to sell drinks so drinks are always backstage and there's there's always free drinks to be had like that's the currency you're paid in beer before you're paid in money most bands are paid in beer tickets right like until you get to a certain level and they start paying you cash but there's always that 
it's always there in those situations. And that's, yeah, like I imagine like a, something that I think you being so honest about your struggles is, is helping people. And, and because there's so many people that, as you say, we know, and I think it's incredibly inspiring and I'm grateful that you are that honest about what you dealt with, because it is something that sadly we see time and time again. True, man. I mean, the, the key to healing, I think, is honesty. And uh, I feel that I'm only as good as I am in the moment, uh, it, you know, chunks of time. Um, so I don't ever get ahead of myself. I try not to. Easier said than done. I, it's not like I have my armor on and I'm all good. Uh, go go on tour. Everything's good. It's uh, just got to keep myself in check and stay connected. Talk with like the, the good people in my life and, uh, you know, get to recovery meetings when I can, like out on the road. And I feel like I've got got to a place where things are um, understood and they're comfortable just within the touring package. You know, people like life doesn't pa- go on pause for me. It, it's it certainly uh, moves on and people can um, live their lives as they would, too. And I think we've got to this understanding and this comfort level of um, everyone lives their lives the way they do. And it's um, uh, there's a support either side and 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 it's not weird you know of course we'll go on tour and people have uh, some beverages uh, respectfully or however it goes um but i'm glad it's not in this uh, weird zone where it's like the the tiptoeing around steel kind of charade or something like that which uh is more uncomfortable so man yeah it's been uh but it's just an ongoing thing it's uh day by day you know and i'm just trying trying to do my best and when I can get to the gym and get a mediocre green smoothie, uh, <laughs> go for it. When you, you mentioned, you know, like those, that last tour, the, the, you know, before the comeback, but did you walk away from music at that point? Like, was that it for you? Because I know you obviously became a barber at, and, and went into like a whole new direction, but like, was there plans for you that you music would be something you'd come back to? There was no plans. Yeah. When we're, if we're specifically talking about 2012, that was such a, like, uh, I, I certainly personally tied the ribbon on, uh, I, I guess t- like Alexis on fire. Like I was very happy and very accepting that. Um, and it made sense to me that we're going our own ways. And that felt really real in the moment. Uh, music as a whole deep down, I feel like I would have, um, entertain something but at that moment um in a healthy way i took a big step away and then that's for for uh, two years i uh i just went on my own and traveled around the world exposed myself to uh a lot of new different things that perhaps i well i didn't have the time to in the past uh because you know when i'm talking about touring in the past and kind of being like uh trapped by my own demons deep down inside like my my truth is like i'm still very fascinated with like you know cultures food architectures people um i it's not weird for me to sit down and have a meal alone and i i i enjoy just kind of observing on the sidelines a little bit and uh to be able to take two years uh no strings attached and just kind of be the operator of my own agenda um was yeah, one of the best chapters of my life. It was very, it wasn't a, a like a gigantic spiritual quest, although some activities seemed like it could have been. Um, and, you know, glutton for punishment, being on those like 27 hour 
bus rides in Nepal or crazy wild train ride from Calcutta down to Chennai, sick as a dog, uh, puking in a hole on the ground. Um, it's, uh, but I think, you know, sort of stemmed from the touring lifestyle, even though time was on my side, I decided to kind of like keep on moving every three to five days. I was always on the move, but music was kind of like, I was being like exposed to different types of music in South Asia and in Latin America and, you know, little street festivals and like totally digging it. Very, very cool. Um, learning about different like American, North American, European bands as I was on the go as well. Of course, I'm like really into it. But as far as like being part of like playing music and being and doing that with people, I was very far from that, but it felt good. And, uh, you know, when I came, music brought me home, though, I remember being at, I didn't have a phone when I was gone, 2013 to 2015, almost two years in, I was at an internet cafe in Myanmar, um, sweating hot. And uh, I see an email from like band and management saying, thinking about doing some festivals this summer. This is like April 2015, last thing on my mind, but I missed it. And uh I miss those guys. And like, even without that incentive, I was starting, starting to mentally kind of come home. I was losing a sense of purpose. Um, so that initially brought me back, moved to Hamilton at the time. I was getting a haircut from like one of my friends that worked at the shop. He asked me what I'm doing next in my life. Knew the band was kind of done. I was like, well, we're actually doing some shows again coming up. And, uh, then I don't know. And then he sort of planted the seed, like you should get involved. And it matched my simple criteria list, which was like, I just want, if I'm not touring and playing music with other people, I wanted to be somewhere like creatively fulfilling. I wanted to be social and maybe be of service. And the, and there was a good friend of, of mine, like offering me a position. So uh, yeah, I got going with that. And um it was this nice kind of, and still is, this uh, balance in my life of uh, two creative outlets, uh, still, in, still being able to um, be part of music in a very meaningful way, and then, um, and then being at the barbershop, which, uh, which I love. And it's nice to be able to kind of step away from each for a little bit of time and then, and then revisit. Um, it's uh, certainly very refreshing. And, uh, and I loved the process of just learning how to cut hair too. You know, I, I think it's important to kind of stay green um, and always stay curious and like learn new things. And, and then in that moment, you know, pride will tell me that like, I'm better than I am. And just when I think I know, I don't know. And uh, you know, I, I like, I like to like enter a room and know the least and, and go through that feeling, you know, even a somewhat prideful guy, like to know the least and just kind of go through those emotions and like, and learn along the way. I think it's very healthy and, uh, and it's never ending too, you know, mm -hmm. what was your plan if you didn't get those emails from, uh, from management about the reunion shows? Like, did you, were you just planning on staying out there, you know, and definitely well, settling somewhere out in the world? My mind was open to any opportunity while I was away whether it was a, a connection with a person, um, job, place, whatever it is. Um, but I didn't, um, that didn't really happen for me. And if it weren't for the email, 
uh, to come back and start doing music again, I think I would have like within a few months come home anyways. Like I think I mentioned that I was mentally starting to drift home. I was losing that. It was nice to be able to kind of be on my own agenda and, and live pretty comfortably. But I, after a while I was starting, starting to feel like, yeah, that, that loss of, uh, that purpose. And, uh, I don't really know what was next. I, I can share that. I was so inspired by the street food in Sri Lanka that there was maybe about three months where I was kind of almost not traveling anymore. I was locking myself up in whatever sort of guest house. And I was planning, uh, not being a business guy or a restaurant guy ever. <laughs> I was obsessively planning to open my own like Koturoti, which is a street food in Sri Lanka restaurant of some variety, maybe in Toronto, probably Canada. I don't know. Philadelphia was in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it could have gone radically different to that if you hadn't been to that email bar or cafe. Right. Yeah, it could have been. Uh, I was starting to talk with like local chefs and thinking about sponsoring like uh, Singhalese people to come to uh, Toronto and uh, looking about what kind of cookware. I already had the name of the, of course, you know, name of the restaurant and like the whole vibe before I knew anything about <laughs> what it takes to open a restaurant. <laughs> Well, you're friends with Maddie. You get Maddie yeah. to give you some advice, you know, like you lean yeah. on your friends. That's what we do in punk. Yeah, and uh, this world's weird, man. It's maybe a, it's maybe an, uh, an old dream that shelved for, for now. Yeah. It's, who knows? <laughs> um, I also thought that you, you, Don Pyle, got to find a guitar and a keyboardist, got to form a barbershop quartet instrumental band. Instrumental quartet. Yeah. Yeah, an instrumental quartet, but a barbershop like quartet. I like it. The, I think, the, like the the old timey attire and everything. Yeah, but like except it's all instrumental. None of that. None of the barbershop music. It's like <laughs> you're taking it a new place. No, I think it would also be a sick band. You playing with Don would be a great rhythm section. That'd be awesome, man. Love it. Uh, when you kind of uh, you know came back to you know uh, Lex on Fire. Did you have like, I mean, like now in the present day where it's now much more, you know, part of your life again, was there hesitation about coming back to, to doing this, you know, recording a new record and, and kind of like becoming, you know, like for lack of a better term, like more of a, a real band again, as opposed to a reunion, a reunion thing. Right. Not at all. Uh, and no hesitation on my end. And like talking about like timing and sort of that magic of like things falling into place. You know, here we are where I'm very content for, at my day to day working uh, downtown Toronto at the barbershop. Got a good rhythm, occasionally stepping out to do the odd festival. You know, uh, lockdown happens. Barbershop is down for 10 months. And, uh, you know, I've noticed like in my life, like I, I need... Um, uh connection i need creative outlet and it just so happened at that time you know a bunch of the guys in alexis you know in my sort of judgment or and me included are a bit of like uh workaholics just don't know how to stop you know so being forced to pause and then in that moment uh kind of reconnect in a deeper way it all stemmed from that i remember all of us having like a really just like no instruments no songwriting just hanging out for two days up north uh, and just chatting. 
And I think from having that sort of connection and that deep rooted like talk that we've all had, that we all had, um, sort of uh, was the launching point to um, some more, some more, I don't know, emotion, depth and weight that went into the songwriting process this time around. And having time on our sides, you know, it's like, sure, it's, it feels familiar, but uh, uh, we're all kind of approaching it in a different perspective. We've all been influenced by other bands along the way. People have had their own experience, like uh, engineering and producing in studios in the last decade. And so to approach what we've done for so long in this kind of new way was like very, very exciting. And let alone, you know, being able to like record a record in the dead of winter in a snowstorm in lockdown in Ontario, you know, and just like have these kind of teary, teary times, you know, being able to like, you're playing, you know, a simple melody of like four notes and, you know, of course the lights are dimmed. But everyone's just kind of uh, kind of right in that there, there's a way to play things correctly. But then there's like that feeling thing and there's that like pocket. There's that there's something beyond just playing it right. That's like really synced up. And like when there's a few of those moments that happen and you're in the studio in a winter storm. And it's just like a flash kind of happens for me of just like the history of 20 years. And then there you are, like on that note in that moment. And it's just like very powerful. And I felt um, it was very moving and it, for all of us. And it definitely, it definitely was the best experience we've had as a band uh, recording a record. Um, it was just full of like obnoxious laughter, as it usually is anyways. And just like a lot of tears and a lot of deep conversations, a lot of great one-on-ones, a lot of great collective talks. And uh it had never really been that glued to the way it was in the past, you know? So it all, it, yeah, it all, it all kind of stemmed from um, just these really open talks we've had and approaching it in this way as well, you know, like um, it's always been all inclusive with the five guys kind of writing uh, different parts. And, but uh, I feel like um, individually we didn't get so like protective and sort of um, with our individual parts, it, it, it sort of became more open. And for the first time, you know, I uh, had written some lyrics and I had never done that before. And perhaps in the past I felt unworthy or embarrassed or there's too many chefs in the kitchen and you already got your thing going on. So, but um, like I say, that for me, came out of um, uh, self-healing, you know, in a, in a time, in a time of misguidance, um, being sober, but kind of questioning some things in my life and direction. I felt it was uh, very therapeutic to put pen to paper. And I didn't e- even know if I was writing. Um, I, I don't think they were lyrics for a song, you know, some, some lines rhymed with one another, but I don't know if it was like storytelling or uh, a form of poetry or, or whatever it was. And uh, when we started kind of jamming out some ideas in the early stages, I kind of just threw it into the ring and it was received very, you know, with open arms. So that was very powerful too, to like have a song kind of questioning grace 
you know, and, um, you know, this concept of, uh, I I'm doing, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm not giving up. Is this the way I'm supposed to feel? And, um, to have, you know, Dallas sing the chorus to a song called blue spade at the top of his lungs in the studio and me be at the console. And, you know, I have this reflection of that very, very sort of difficult time in my life that was um, two years prior when I wrote the lyrics. And then in the current moment, there's Dallas singing them in this kind of roundabout way. And this way, in this way that like Dallas shared with me of what those lyrics mean for him when he sings them. And then, uh, of course, he does a perfect take and I'm sitting there at the console. And I was like, that was great. Can you do it again? Like one more time? <laughs> but um yeah it's been it's been no hesitation man to like get back with these guys it's like this is um but also with it comes discussion like we found a way where i think um it's comfortable and works for everyone because of course everyone has their individual lives and families and other jobs and this and that so it doesn't feel like uh uh too stressful or like it's a a burden at all it feels very genuine and it feels exciting and it's like this great this great kind of balancing act that we've somehow found yeah yeah it's your best sounding record i think it's uh i love the way your bass hits on it too like i think it just uh it's a really cool cool record i appreciate hearing that it's um and again like um i i think we went into it very prepared you know we demoed at revolution across from dine alone and um had some really solid, like, you know, blueprints that were essentially perhaps 90% done. And we took those ideas and went to uh, Jukasa and worked with my cousin, actually, which was cool to keep it in the family. Darren did <laughs> the record. And uh, which was a trip, too, because I remember, like, in, like, 94, I'd, like, be in London, Ontario in our, like, grandparents' living room. We had a band called Moretto, which is the name of a coffee tin, because those were the drum, those were the toms of the drums. <laughs> and uh, I did the elastics on Kleenex thing, and we did like, you know, three originals and probably like something from Kerplunk or something like that. <laughs> and um, so it's such a trip, man, to like have that memory and being in the living room and putting on a performance for like our grandparents and parents. And, uh, oh man, 28 years later, whatever it was, uh, there we are at Jukasa having that moment. Um, it's been very special and I appreciate hearing the feedback of the record. It's, uh, it feels, um, we're all very proud of it for sure. Do you think you would have been able to make not even just this record, but like a record without that conversation in the cabin. Like, was there a tension in the two, in the few years between like 2015 until you guys kind of got together again and had that, had it all out? Um, Cause you guys did some other shows in the interim, like other reunion shows, one-offs here and there. And yeah, you we put did out some, some songs, right? Even two songs. Yeah. Yeah. We put out a handful of songs, uh, which we also did at Jucasa. We did familiar drugs was the first like kind of single in many years since uh dog's blood EP. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with shortly after that, we did complicit and then uh season of the flood, 
which felt very good. And it was just like, again, time management with like, you know, Dallas being busy, which is great. Um, uh, kind of weighed hand in many pots, doing many things. And at the time, Jordan was busy with uh, Billy Talent. And it was just these kind of little moments and pockets of time that we could find. And, you know, Dallas had like kind of a, a space here in northern or in the city here where we able to occasionally get together and write out some ideas. And a lot of it was lingering shit from like sound checks back in 2009 and some like loose ends that we revisited. But um, no, it's uh, I thought that would have been kind of the rollout until we, we were sick of it or I, I wasn't sure. I thought it would just be, I know the music industry has changed so much and there's just like, kind of like people are digesting like singles and like, I certainly miss a body of work like a you know a full feel of a record and i know for a number of us that would have been a goal but i think it would have been unreachable and we were accepting of that it's just it was it was going to be what it was going to be and then um so i think a few things working together was having the time and then with that time like kind of having the discussion um not that our aim off the bat was to write a full length. It was just like, I don't know. You, you, you can relate. I just like, it just, it, it was rolling. It, it got going. Like Wade was in Montreal for a while and he came back to Ontario. He sort of like initiated the conversation. Hey, I'm around. We should jam. That was kind of the goal. And then like some songs came together. We took a break around Christmas and we're like that was so good let's do can we do it some more before we knew it uh we had 10 songs and then yeah we went went into the studio with the record um there was no uh b-sides and shit that we were cutting it was just like that felt good as a record and um but if it weren't for the conversation that we had um it's tough to say man um i honestly don't think it would have come together i think that was very important to have that conversation to have uh, like that uh, deeper sort of uh understanding and connection with one another and um that was the spark uh without that probably just jamming when we could and then maybe the same the same pattern of some singles which is which is cool because I've, I've found a very cool place in my life where like I'm happy in both worlds. Um, I didn't expect it to get this busy again. I didn't expect at the time a full full length, which I would have been hoping for. And to be as busy as we are for this year, um, starting last March and currently in it right now, um, did not expect it to be as so engaged. And now to be like more part of the process and learning new parts of like what it means to be in a touring band and behind the scenes is interesting to me again learning new things man mm -hmm. and uh yeah i've just got this like yearning sort of curiosity just to like just i don't know be be in the center of it and it feels good right now it's interesting because everyone made so much fun of metallica myself included for having the band therapist in some kind of monster but like all bands could benefit from a little band therapy, you know, or like, you know, if you're in a company with people for 20 years, there's an HR department that is helping people, you know, team building exercises, but in a band, it's just bone on bone for as long as you can take it. That's, 
Yeah. You know what? Not, you mentioned that. And, um, I've, I've actually had those shared those same thoughts with Wade on like, you know, I, I know a lot of people, uh, had their views on, on what that was having a band therapist and, um, whatever your version of therapy is, I think there's gotta be for sustainability and like a, like a, like a, and like, like there's gonna, and, and accepting, there's gonna be a lot of trying times and like, it's, it's hard regardless of how much therapy one can have and keeping the morale up. It's uh it is a difficult lifestyle, but um, whatever the version of therapy is, I mean, if it means like, you're at Daytona welcome to rock fest and you've been canceled and now you're you're saying okay well there's that's out of our reach we could uh sulk and be behind the porta potties and uh you know have a bad day or we can put our bathing suits on and go out into the crowd and uh throw the frisbee around for a bit and having that connection doing a, doing a little frisbee toss with Dow in Daytona, like there's a little therapy doing a little handball, uh, you know, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, you're right, man. It's important. It is bone on bone, man. It's a fucking grind out there. Yeah. And I guess those are those team building exercises that you would have in a corporate environment, you know, like a little Frisbee, a little handball, you know, like we gotta do more trust cast catch exercises as bands. It's gotta be stuff like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, 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 the big shrimp cocktail ring at the fancy restaurant is not going to do it uh, time and time again, you know? <laughs> no. Well, it's interesting because, like, you know, just to get to the crassest aspect of the music business, it's a business, right? And the band is an investment. And you think as a record label, you'd be, like, looking at this being like, okay, how do we get the most out of our investment? It's not by having the band implode you know, because they can't deal with each other anymore. It's like, you, you think the music industry would be actively encouraging this sort of stuff to, to give a little more longevity to this thing that they're going to be trying to make money off of. Oh yeah. You would hope so. It's yeah. certainly, uh, well, but it takes being in it to like really understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, perhaps from a perspective of like the, the life of Riley of like, uh, the heightened sort of feeling from playing live shows and being in cool cities. And like, uh, that's what you get to do for your job. It's like all the other stuff in between that maybe does it maybe isn't, um, noticed from, uh, the guy in the big chair in the office back in whatever city it is. It's like, um, may, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting that you bring that up. It's, uh, yeah, I think it takes someone being in it, but you got to do it for a little while to even comprehend that mm -hmm. it is a challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I think a lot of people that are are best to deal with in the music industry are people that have been in a band or, you know, maybe not currently in a band, but people that have been in the band or people that have been on the road in some sort of touring capacity. So they know exactly what it feels like and so they can empathize with the the weird mental anguish that you kind of find yourself in. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's these little moments though, too. Like, cause like I look fondly back on like time and time again, touring the States and going around and doing the club shows and, uh, recently being able to be in the States and be in, uh, 
territory where we haven't been in, I guess, 14 years, venues that we would have played back then. Um, that to me is like the, I don't know what it's all about. Like it, it's, it's cool to play a like big festival and like see a sea of people and like wherever live music's happening and people are having a good time. That is great. But like to be in San Antonio at the white rabbit, or I guess it's called paper tiger. Now that really quintessential Texas, like, you know, all the road cases are in like the back parking lot and it's baking hot. And like, you're just sitting on like a drum road case and shooting the shit with uh you know, comeback kid. And then there's a little taco stand around the corner. And it's just like, man, that really like that, that for me is like being on tour kind of feeling, you know, it's not uh, a shuttle from the hotel to the, to the tent at the festival. It's like being right, right on the premises like that. And uh, connecting with like everyone involved and road crew, bunch of beauties and spending time and being able to be there for it. Um, yeah, that was great. That last U.S. tour that we just did, man, that was, uh, you know, I've got no expectations um, when it, with a market down there that like we did mediocre in um, to be able to go back and like, it's, I'm just head spun all this time later and have people, you know, I love chatting with people after the show and just like hearing these stories or where they got this tattoo from in like 2006 and uh certain song from certain record of like what that did for them at a certain point in their life. And like, those are the moments that remind me that there's something bigger than me happening. That's like, cause you can get lost too. Right. Like mm -hmm. in the, in the rat race of it all. And like, uh, it's a, it can be a bit groundhog day. Um, and then you're reminded when you play the show of how, of what this is all about, but like, I don't know, you can lose sight very easily. Um, you're trying to pack an itinerary with doing all the cool things in the cool city that you're in or whatever. But then like when you talk to a fan afterwards and they, they disclose some like, you know, at times emotional, serious stuff with you, just the power of music and like what uh, the band has meant to them or, or maybe it's their first time seeing the band. They didn't get a chance back then. And uh, what that means to them now, it's like, that's, that's the things that keep me going, you know, it's like there's something very special happening and it's, and it's much bigger than me. And, um, and it's very humbling too. It's, uh, it was great. So being able to have those uh, interactions, especially just on that U S tour we just did, uh, it was, uh, I'm beside myself. I get to still do this. It's crazy. Well, and also like, you know, in America, you guys fought for, you know, like you guys, <laughs> You would go in Canada from playing giant shows to having to go in America and playing these venues that you're now headlining at, but you would be like the first of three or, or whatever on these tours. And so I imagine it's super validating to be back all these years and be like, yeah, we were right. We, <laughs> there, there are people now here to see us as opposed to like whatever band you were with the first time around. Oh yeah, for sure. It, funny you mentioned that too, because maybe at the time, I don't know, crisis era, few videos uh happening uh at much music we're able to do pretty sizable rooms in canada you know we bring a u.s band which will remain nameless uh but we'll do the trade-off they'll take us to the states after so i remember finishing in vancouver uh you know great show and then we went to uh maybe bremerton or somewhere in washington and uh 
There was zero tickets sold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, you know, it's humbling. It keeps you, it keeps you grounded <laughs> when that, when that stuff's happening, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess like I could talk to you forever and anytime you want to come back on this thing, uh, you're always welcome steel as you know. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, you're almost like up there with George, you almost feel, fill that role of being the other front person live in a lot of ways. Like you're engaging with the crowd in the same sort of way, which, you know, leaves Dallas and Wade able to kind of lay back and do their vocals and do their stuff on guitar. But you know, what you're doing, the way you're engaging with the crowd, the way you're looking people right in the eyes, like that's, that's what lead singers do, right? Like that's the, the lead vocalist kind of job type thing. And I find that one of the most draining aspects of being in a band is getting yourself into the place that you can go out there and stare people in the face while they're, you know, on stage doing your thing and then coming down off of that and having to do that day in and day out. Like that to me is the, you know, as much as it's great to talk to the people after the show and get that energy, but to get to that place where you have that energy, it's, I find that difficult for me. And I was wondering, it if can, you yeah, it can be, I can relate to that. I mean, there can be times, especially when you're not in the rhythm of touring and you kind of go out and do two or three shows. And, uh, you know, after the first one body's pretty sore and like trying to psych yourself up to go do the thing. Um, not that it's like a charade or act because like it just happens like effortlessly when the show kicks off. But before the show kicks off, I am in my head a little bit. And I um, I don't know. I, I'm also a little hard on myself, too, um, which I'm working on. And I feel like this is like this like redemption era where I get to uh, still do this. I've got like another chance in this like new way of life that I'm living. And uh and I got to give it everything that I have, you know? And so, yes, it is relatable, but then also it's very rewarding that I'm able to like, like purely look people in the eyes and like be, you know, at the core of my true self and feel like really good about that. Like I was talking about trying to be see-through and like nothing to hide and uh, being able to experience it, experience it in that way um, is very rewarding. And I feel like, yeah, it's this weird sort of mental juggle of um, I'm just learning to be kinder to myself, you know, like I, I feel like I ask myself is the best that I can do like in the moment. And the answer is usually yes. And whatever, whatever thoughts that I have of where things could have been stronger or more connected with myself, um, you know, it, it, it's so it's such a fragile thing playing live music, you know, um, because there's a lot in life that uh, happens, um, good and bad. And <laughs> the brain is weird. And when you have that hour and a however long it is, all the exterior stuff of whatever home life or whatever earlier happened that day, good or bad. Um, I'm feeling like I'm having the best moment and one of the best shows when all of those thoughts are sort of dismissed. Um, and I'm challenged when I start to feel like some of those thoughts kind of creep into my head during a live show. And like, it doesn't feel like I'm on autopilot, just kind of moving around animalistic, but I like the show is still happening, but there's these weird lingering thoughts that I can't quite, you know, push away. 
and then I'll, and then afterwards, if that kind of consumes me a little bit, I'll think that the show wasn't good. Um, you know, just focus on these thoughts and, uh, perhaps that's normal, but like, I, I feel, I feel like, uh, as of late, especially since we've been doing shows again, um, since this past March, I, without trying, I'm just able to just kind of surrender a little bit more to the experience. And, um, and even if the thoughts are happening, allow it just, there's just like be kind of one with the process and, and the show itself. And when I'm not fighting and resisting, um, any of these little things I'm trying to explain, um, it doesn't really matter what's going on. It's just like much more of a, um, I don't know. It, it's much more of a moment. It's much more of a time. And I feel, uh, that there is a process for me to like, be kinder to myself and um it's taken a little bit of work and it's taken some time but uh i don't know just kind of spitballing all over the place but to relate to like what you are saying um i feel like there is maybe this expectation to like fans of the band of like what i do on stage and i want to sh make sure that i i meet that expectation and i always set the bar very high and um yeah, yeah, man, like you're, I mean, you brought it up, you do what you do and it's fucking absolutely animalistic and to like turn into that person on stage from like, you know, the 20 hours of not being on stage <laughs> is like, you know, and really put it on, it, it, it can be tough, man, but. Um, well, coming and coming off of it too, like that's the, the end of the thing is like getting there is one thing, but then to try and shut it off so you can get to sleep so you can do it again the next day is the is a challenge i find yeah and i think like all things as well for me it's just like they not in a negative way but they're fleeting you know and like um they come and go and uh i want to be almost as content with myself at playing a festival show uh in front of a sea of people and almost kind of like somehow have that same feeling when I'm just like sitting on a park bench in high park yeah. and just like be a little more neutral with things. So like, cause that was challenging when I was like, for me too, like being an addict and like a stimulation and instant gratification and like getting that feeling of praise of getting off stage and like putting everything I have into it. And then that's not there in the moment. There was a big time where I was reaching for it and it was kind of disturbing but getting to a place where I'm a little bit more wavy in the middle, a little more neutral with it, you know, like uh, enjoy the high times, except, except the, when it's a little lower, but there's a physical element to like what we do and like the fucking dopamine and serotonin and everything that's going on. Like we're, we're on cloud nine come, come, coming off of that is, uh, has its challenges, man. But um, I've, I've found a pretty manageable way to, um, to be able to do it and uh not teeter in either direction too heavily you know well i'm so um unbelievably proud and happy that you're in the place you're at steel and anytime you want to come on this thing know that the door is always open we're gonna do it again i appreciate you man i think it's so so cool what you're doing and you're such a beauty and like this has been like really meaningful you know like i definitely like i look up to you i look up to you know 
everything that you've done musically, like the people that you play with and, and like, you know, seeing you guys at fucking uh, mansion house in St. Catharines, you know, <laughs> we had already been well into our career and doing, doing the thing for a long time. And then having a moment, like seeing you guys in my hometown at that awesome little dwelling um, and just being rocked, you know, and it's like, uh, this means a lot. And we haven't really, we've, cross paths and we've played together and we've done this and um but it's always been kind of you know shortened by whatever reason and to be able to actually have some time and like do this means a lot so i'd love to i'd love it if the offer's there i'll be back and we'll because we'll, we can go on forever man thank you steel for coming on the show and you're right there steel and i have plans for uh for, for a lot more conversations, I you know, on the record and off the record as well, because, you know, once again, this is an opportunity for me to uh, get closer to friends as much as it's an opportunity for you to hear conversations with people I know and friends. So it's a, it's a dual purpose, this podcast. As I mentioned before, I'm in a hotel room in Cologne, so I'm going to hurry up and uh, pack up my bag and head out on the road. Uh, but before I do, let me tell you about the next episode of Turned Out of Punk. Coming out on the next episode of this here podcast, one of the, the greatest of all time, one of the greatest front people ever, a person who is uh, a punk rock lifer and obviously in a very, very seminal, important hardcore band, but continued to do amazing stuff in garage rock, punk rock, and just really just live the punk rock life and embody the spirit to me a hero a hero of mine i don't i'm not overstating it from the band the adolescence from the band the adolescence the man of a thousand punk rock aliases tony reflex tony adolescence to tony brandenburg tony there's he's got so many punk names that i could spend the whole episode just running through those but all you need to know is that he's one of the greatest to ever do it. And this is a fun conversation that you're going to hear on the next episode of the show. Well, that is it. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races and different religions because we're not talking about political issues here. These are just basic human rights issues. People have the right to live free. And by that, I mean free from hatred, free from discrimination, free from violence, free from repression. Just live free. And in that, I would also include, we got to make sure people, uh, I mean, when I say people, I mean politicians and, and religious leaders and just anyone not involved with it, keeping their hands out of other people's uteruses. We need to get involved right now. And I say this, I mean myself as well. I think everyone needs to look around the world that we're in and say, is this the world I want to see? And I know this stuff has been a fight consistently. And people have been fighting these fights every single day. But to see a return of this self-imposed ignorance where people are actively advocating hatred in punk rock and, and discrimination in punk rock, it, it's fucking ridiculous. So shut all that shit down. If there's an organization that's doing good work around you, get involved. Lend your support, lend your money, lend your time, whatever you can do. Uh, speaking of support, though, 
uh, a good way to support yourself is meditation. If you've never tried it, you're much like myself. Um, and I just didn't believe it was going to work for me. And then having tried it and, you know, struggled trying to get into it at first, I will admit that. But now I find it an incredible tool to, I don't know, exist in this world. Um, speaking of giving something a try, try and make your own culture. Punk rock is a culture based on participation. So get involved, make a band, make a fanzine, uh, to, to, you know, do whatever, draw a flyer, do something. Uh, or just do something creative for yourself too. You know, you don't have to show the world, but that stuff does help your mental health. But helping other people, another way to help other people is sign your organ donor cards. Because I've seen that shit do miracles. You know, I've, I've, I've seen people get organ transplants and survive, live. So sign that card because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. You're gone. But you can give someone else a incredible gift and opportunity to kind of keep living. So morbid thing to talk about, but something I think we should all uh, think about doing. I think that's it. Uh, stay safe, everyone. And I will see you on the next episode. Probably from another hotel room. I think I'm on tour for a little bit more. So probably from another hotel room. Maybe from home. We'll see. Thanks for listening.